Thrive Suite Productions presents The Perception Veil. What defines death? Or maybe the better question is, when is dead dead? That may sound like an easily answered question, but death has been determined in a variety of ways through human history. In the 1800s and before, if heart and lung function was not detected, the person was deemed to have passed on. Yet there were many cases of very sick or catatonic people being buried alive. Later in the 20th century, the cessation of brain activity was viewed as the end of life. Yet the heart and lungs could be pumped to keep the brain-dead person technically alive. And then there was the debate in 2002 about cerebral death versus whole brain death. This may be a morbid start to today's episode, but by these following accounts, a beloved family member found a way to reach from beyond the grave to deliver a very real message. In 2004, my parents had recently gone through a really bitter separation. Their marriage was in the toilet at that point, and it was clear that there was not going to be any kind of reconciliation. So my dad, named Danny, moved out of our apartment and in with my cousin, Tommy. Tommy was my dad's sister's oldest son. He had been prone to health issues most of his life, but his health really started to fail around late 2003. He was constantly in and out of the hospital. During that time, he and my dad were like you know, father and son. So after my parents' marriage fell apart, my dad decided to move in with him to help him as he dealt with his myriad health issues. Just for a, a little background into the many conditions my cousin had, he was born with some, others he developed over time. Uh, there was diabetes, he had a heart issue, kidney issues, just to name a few, so you kind of get the idea. He had worked very hard throughout his life, and he built a good career, but with his health rapidly declining, he could no longer work. Uh, my dad at the time had decided a year prior to retire from his career in law enforcement and get his pension and cash in his investments. So, since he viewed my cousin you know, kind of like a son, he took over the bills for him, because during that time period, we thought you know, he would just recover like he'd done many times before. It was meant to be a short-term arrangement until my cousin could get back up on his feet, get back to work. Well, unfortunately, it didn't go that way. About two weeks after my father moved in, my cousin's health took a turn for the worst. According to my dad, he had gone out to get some groceries, and my cousin had been in bed all day, just really not feeling well. When my dad returned from the grocery store, he went to check on my cousin, and he was not responding. Because of my dad's you know, formal law enforcement training, he started CPR and he called 911, but after three attempts to resuscitate him, uh, he just couldn't. Tommy passed away. My cousin was only 33 years old at the time of his death, and though he was a divorcee himself, he left behind three small kids that were beyond devastated by his departure. His mom, my dad's only sister, was fighting stage four cancer at the time as well, so the family decided not to tell her that he had passed away. According to my dad, he felt that telling her would just do more harm to her. 
After the decision was made, my cousin's siblings and ex-wife started to plan his funeral, according to his wishes. A day after his death, my mom received a phone call informing us of his death from his ex-wife, and she said my dad tried to call but was very distraught and was constantly breaking down crying. My mom told me what had happened, and we decided that we would go and visit with dad. It was just a very sad situation. My entire family just incredibly heartbroken, even though they knew that you know Tommy had had health problems. You know, they were still deeply affected by you know, his untimely passing. The most heart-wrenching part, though, was watching his small kids cry out for their father. The funeral was an elaborate affair. It lasted almost three hours because everyone in the family had a story about him that they wanted to share. Uh, After that, my mom and I went home. Dad went back to the home that he had shared with Tommy. A few days went by, and uh, my dad asked my mom if he could stay at our place for a couple of nights because he was having terrible nightmares. According to my mom, he didn't get into too many details, but she believes the dreams were related to the events that were to take place the following week. So my mom agreed, and my dad stayed in the guest room in our apartment. And then Saturday came, and it was like any other Saturday. My mom had errands. I had some to do. Uh, My dad decided to go and spend some time with my cousin's small children. So as mom and I settled in for the evening, the phone rang, and... This is where the story becomes terrifying. My mom walked over to the phone and glanced at the caller ID, and it had an unknown number showing, so she almost didn't answer it. But then she felt this incredible urge to answer the phone for some reason. Any other time, she just, you know, let the unknown number of phone calls ring. But this time, she just felt compelled by some unspecified force that she had to pick up the phone. Hello? She spurted out nervously. Help me. Help me. It's hot. And I'm burning. I'm on fire. A voice on the other end yelled out in agony. What? Who is this? What do you want? After a brief pause, Please. Please help me. Tell Uncle Danny to come and get me. The voice shouted. Is this some sort of prank? Why are you calling my home with this nonsense? Stop this foolishness now. It's me. It's Tommy. It's so hot in here. Please send Uncle Danny to come and get me. I'm afraid. And I need help. This isn't Tommy. Tommy's dead. Don't call here again playing on my phone with this nonsense. And she slammed the phone down. The only problem with her rationale is that my mom knew Tommy's voice, and she said it was most definitely Tommy on the other end. She says to this day, it's still hard to believe. Where was he calling from? How did he actually get his call through? He was most definitely dead, but it was his voice. I then asked her why she didn't ask him where he was calling from, and she said it's because she was freaked out. She felt like it was the twilight zone for those two minutes that they interacted. She says she was in a trance-like state because she could hear his voice clearly on the other end. She knew it was him. Still, it was completely irrational that a dead person could be talking to her over the phone. So many questions unanswered. 
She told my dad years later when he was on his deathbed. She says she didn't tell him sooner because she didn't think he'd believe her. During his life, my dad was very skeptical of the paranormal. Mom and I believed the nightmares he was experiencing immediately after my cousin passed were foreshadowing the phone call that my mom received. Unfortunately, my dad refused to elaborate any further on the nightmares and took them to his grave when he passed a few years later. To this day, my mom still gets a little weepy-eyed and nervous when she relays that story to me. She'd really like to know what other people think. Was it someone pulling a prank? Or was it really Tommy calling from the great beyond? And if so, where was he? Was he in hell or a tormenting environment? We're all still really baffled. It's been years since I've even thought about this story, and yet it still gives me chills as I type this out ready to send to you. This story happened when I was a sophomore in college back in 2003. That year, my dad had a friend that had suffered a massive heart attack at work, and he died. Big Mike's death took a toll on both my father and me. This man was a family friend who I had known since I was a little kid, and you know, he was kind of like an older big brother to me. We all three played golf nearly every week together, and we were very close. Weeks after the funeral, I was back in school and deep asleep in my dorm room when I was awakened by my phone ringing across the room at what I thought was around, you know, two or three in the morning. I got out of bed, I grabbed the phone, and it continued to ring as I laid back down before I pushed the answer button. I was thinking about how odd that someone would be calling me this late, but I assumed it was one of my friends needing a ride back from the bar or a girl from earlier in the night looking to, you know, talk. As I answered and said, hello, I could hear static through the receiver and a voice I recognized immediately. I asked, who is this? Hoping I was wrong about the voice. The voice said, hey, bud. It's Big Mike. I asked again who it was, thinking it had to be a crank call, and and the line went back to static. I thought to myself, this must be a dream. I've definitely got to be dreaming. So I went back to sleep. When I woke up the next morning, I was in shock. There was the phone still on my chest. I had not been dreaming. So, you know, back then to track the last number that dialed you, you you hit star 69, and it came back that that phone number wasn't in service anymore. I immediately called my dad. As I told him the story, my entire body was shaking, but he wasn't surprised because a few nights before, a call showed up on his caller ID as unknown about the same time at night as well that he sadly didn't get to answer. I guess Big Mike was just trying to let us know that he was okay. My name is Jennifer. Back in 2012, my first love and high school sweetheart, Tony, and I separated after being together for about 20 years. We'd been married for seven and we'd had two kids. Even though I knew it was for the best, I was still devastated. 
I just don't do well with a lot of change. I wallowed in self-pity for a while and was still feeling a bit uneasy about the whole situation when Tony and I planned to meet for dinner to talk about sharing custody of the kids. I was actually looking forward to this meal together. He had our children that night, but he'd gotten a sitter. And then about 10 minutes before we were supposed to meet, he called to cancel. All dressed up with nowhere to go, I decided to not waste a night out, so I called some friends to go get a margarita. Each friend I called already had plans, and they declined. I was a bit upset now, but decided to go to my local pub alone. After all, it had been months since I had gone out, and it was affecting me. My favorite local band was playing at the pub, and I decided to go see them and lift my spirits. After a few minutes, I stepped out for a cigarette, and I ran into Dwight, a guy I had gone to high school with, and we had worked together at a local grocery store. Dwight was a funny guy and charming, too. We talked for a little while, and he asked how Tony was doing. I explained what had happened and all the details. He talked about his divorce and his kids, and we just seemed to click. We talked a little bit longer, rekindled our friendship, and then after a short while, we started dating. We did everything together. We fished, hunt, camped, hiked. Unlike with Tony, we did everything together, and we had so much in common. He became my best friend and my love. We both had our kids on the same scheduled days and then with our exes on the other days. It seemed like we had the perfect balance of family time and alone time, and we fell in love fast. A year later, I moved in with him on his family farm, and every day was an adventure. He purchased a dirt bike. He loved riding that thing. He wasn't a daredevil or evil Knievel or anything. And he wore all the protective gear. He loved showing off that bike to his friends. Uh, he built a track and he invited everyone he knew to come over and ride. And then came Saturday, June 28th, 2014. I got up and was about to get ready for work as I normally did. Dwight didn't have to work that day and he went out with three friends to ride. It was a hot summer day and he was excited to go. My father was returning from a long trip the following day and I wanted to stop and check his house, grab the mail, get the house ready for him to come back to. I decided to get ready for work at my dad's house to save a little time. Well, I got to dad's. The animals were good. I brought the mail inside, took the trash out, hopped in the shower, and I heard my cell phone ringing. And it was my ex-husband, Tony. He told me he was on his way to get me. Dwight had been in a dirt bike accident. He told me Dwight and his friend collided on the track. I wanted to know how he knew all this. Was this some kind of a weird joke? And he explained that Dwight was riding with one of his friends. And when the accident happened, the guy didn't have my number, so he called Tony instead. My whole world just kind of flipped upside down. Tony rushed me to the hospital. I raced into the ER. I watched as they worked on him. They did their best, but... I watched life leave Dwight's body. I was inconsolable. Dwight was my best friend. He was gone from this world, just like that. I tried to be strong, but I just couldn't stop crying. Well, a few weeks passed. My kids were at Tony's house. I was home alone, wanting nothing more than to just see Dwight again, you know, just to kind of hear his voice. So I watched these videos that we took while we were hiking and camping and four-wheeling. I fell apart crying right there on my bed. A video of us on my phone was playing, and that's when I heard, 
Jan. Jennifer. I'm right here. Stop crying for me. Get some sleep. I'm right here, all right? I'm right here. I froze. I thought I had just lost it. I was cracking up, hearing what I wanted to hear. I rewound the video on my phone. It was a simple video I had shot about two weeks before he died of him and me on the four-wheeler. I was holding my phone and recording us talking and laughing, and in the video, I hop off the bike and Dwight rides away from me. And the noise of the four-wheeler pulling away, I could hear that message and Dwight's voice. Jen, Jennifer, I'm right here. Stop crying for me. Get some sleep. I'm right here, all right? I'm right here. I I felt so at peace hearing his voice in those words. I called Tony to come over so we could talk. I had to know what I was hearing could be heard by somebody else. I knew that he would be 100% honest with me. I explained how upset I was, that all I wished was to know that Dwight was okay, but wondered if I was forcing the words that I wanted to hear. So I played the video for him twice. Tony was never a big believer in paranormal things and certainly not life after death. And he flipped out. He just grabbed his hair. He paced back and forth. He was almost yelling, but he kept saying, Oh my God, Jennifer, it really is Dwight. That was the only proof I really needed from the biggest skeptic. That it wasn't me. It wasn't my imagination. It wasn't me conjuring something up out of desperation. It was Dwight letting me know that he was okay which is all that I had been praying for. When my mother was a little girl growing up in Maryland, she was very close to her grandmother. That's not really unusual. Many children are very fond of their grandparents and spend a lot of time with them. But by the way my mother talked about her memories of her grandmother, it was very evident that they were incredibly close. When she was eight, she spent every weekend with her grandmother going shopping on Saturdays that always seemed to include a special lunch spot and then playing bingo on Saturday night at the local firehouse. A Sunday was for church and then a stop at her favorite bakery on the way home. My mother mentioned how the two of them talked for hours and hours. She taught my mother about kindness and about family history. Through my mom's adolescent years from 1968 through 75, They spent a lot of time together, and my mother became who she is today, a sweet and gentle and kind person because of her grandmother. In 1980, ten years before I was born, my great-grandmother died of kidney failure. It was very difficult for the whole family, but in particular for my mother. Years went by, and while the pain of her passing drifted away, the memories never faded. In 1985, Five years after my great-grandmother passed away, my mom and dad were living in Laurel, Maryland, about 45 minutes away from Silver Spring, where my great-grandmother had lived. And one day, my mom and dad had a horrible argument. It was very heated, and it even became physical. My mother told me many years later how devastated that altercation had left her. She remembered that she was crying hysterically a short while after the yelling had stopped, 
when the phone rang. She composed herself enough to answer it and said, Hello? She heard static on the line and repeated, Hello? Still nothing other than static. Before she hung up, though, she said one more time, Hello? That is when she heard her grandmother's distinctive voice ask, Are you all right? Her grandmother's voice had been recognizably deep and raspy when she was still living, and there was no question in my mother's mind that this was her grandmother's voice. After all the thousands of hours they had spent together, there was not a bit of doubt. But before my mother could get over her stunned silence and ask her anything, the static rose and the call disconnected. After that brief call, my mother says she was reassured and always knew that the lady she calls Little Gran is never far away and always watching over us. Back in 2002, I was living in a, uh, I guess you would call it a creepy house. A lot of paranormal stuff seemed to happen while I lived there. I even did an interview with paranormal investigator Brad Steiger, and Brad said there were parts of my story that gave him goosebumps. For that story, you need to know that my mother died about a year prior to this event. I was taking a shower, getting ready to go with my sister to Indianapolis later that day. I turned off the water and I heard the answering machine beep and the tape rewind. I thought it was my sister calling to see if I was ready to go. I wrapped a towel around me and walked into my bedroom where my old landline phone was located. I noticed that the light was blinking really fast and that was odd. It was flashing a lot faster than it normally did. It was usually a slow blinking pale red light to let you know that you had a message waiting. All right. Didn't really concern me that much, so I pushed the playback button and started to walk away. I took two steps, and I froze. My mom's voice was coming from the answering machine. Now, again, my mother had been dead for about a year, and she was now speaking to me through my answering machine. And she said, Darlene? Darlene? Pick up the phone, Darlene. Pick up the phone. I know you're there. And then I heard soft laughter, <laughs> which did not sound like my mom's laugh at all. It was not evil laughter, but I knew it was not my mom's. Chills ran down my spine as I listened to that voice, my mom's voice coming out of the machine and filling the room. I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up, my eyes watered as fear gripped me. So I looked at the caller ID, but nothing came up. I picked up the phone and I called my sister to tell her what had just happened. Well, she didn't believe me, so I decided to let her hear it for herself. I rewound the tape to play it back for her. And when I did, there was nothing but static. I tried to rationalize it for a long time after that. Maybe it was an old message? But that wouldn't explain the laughter at the end. And now, why was there only static now? I had used this answering machine for many, many years. If this was some kind of weird trick or I heard something that wasn't there, somebody else's message should have been on the playback. There were several other occurrences that happened at this house in the nearly 12 years that I lived there with my family. After hearing my story, the 
Paranormal investigator Brad Steiger thought my house may be sitting in a vortex to the spirit world. Whatever it was that happened that day, it was incredibly creepy, and yet a bit heartwarming. Mysterious Messages from the Other Side It is a comfort knowing that that special someone is always concerned about you, even after they've passed on. And yet, that can be a bit spooky at the same time, right? How is it possible to reach across that ethereal chasm to show that the bonds of love transcend the boundaries of mortality? Is this world an intricate tapestry woven from the cosmic threads that do not know a boundary? Does love transcend the confines of time and space? To these people who sent me their stories, The answer is a resounding yes, because they've heard the voice of their loved ones through the thin shroud of the perception veil. Hey, this is Steve White. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a moment, how about leaving a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts? Also, this is the final episode of Season 2. I'm going to take a few weeks off, but I already have a plan for Season 3 with the first episode of the third season dropping Sunday, April 14th. Between now and then, I will probably drop a mini-episode or two of fun stories that I've uncovered. Thanks for your support. And if you have a paranormal story that you would like to share, send it to me at theperceptionveil at gmail.com. Be well, and I'll see you on the other side of the veil soon. This has been a Thrive Suite production. Copyright 2024. All rights reserved.